Well, this morning we have Levi Baker Inc. with us again. Um, thanks again for, for coming to share the word with us this morning. Um, let's stand together as I read uh, from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, it's a real privilege and an honor to be back with you all this morning. Thank you so much for the warm welcome I received last week, and I'm uh, glad to be back here this morning and to have my lovely fiance Jess here uh, with me as well. And we're really uh, thrilled and excited to be here, and and it's uh, so good as we've heard already this morning and heard prayed for us that it's so good to be able to gather as God's people, uh, as God's redeemed people, His forgiven people and to worship him for all that he's done. Uh, well, if you would, please, uh, if you have not already, turn with me to Hebrews, um, one of my favorite books in the Bible, if not my favorite. Such a wonderful letter, such an encouragement to us. And I remember uh, last week I mentioned uh, R.C. Sproul's book, uh, The Holiness of God, I saw a lot of nods in the audience, so I'm sure he needs no introduction from me uh, for this group, uh, but uh, he was an incredible, outstanding pastor, a very insightful theologian, a wonderful communicator of the truths of God. And he died December uh, 14 of 2017. In the fall of 2017, before his death, he started a sermon series on the book of Hebrews. And on that fourth Sunday of that series, November 26th, he preached from our passage, from Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. And that was his last sermon. And in that sermon, with labored breath, he gave his final plea to his congregation and he said, I pray with all my heart that God will awaken each of us today to the sweetness, the loveliness, the glory of the gospel declared by Christ. And in his biography, uh, Stephen Nichols, he shares the story of how after he had finished that sermon, his wife Vesta of 57 years jokingly said to him, that was your best servant ever. You can die now, sweetheart. <laughs> and so he did. Two weeks later, 
And on his gravestone and the St. Andrew's graveyard, that was his church, are etched these words, R.C. Sproul, he was a kind man, redeemed by a kinder Savior. See, R.C., brilliant in so many ways, he was just a man. He was a kind man. But he was redeemed by a kinder Savior, and he gave his life to helping people know this kind Savior that he had and the sweet and lovely and glorious message that this kind Savior brings. And that is the message before us in our text this morning, a message of salvation and deliverance, a message of hope and of peace, a message of of forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. Dr. Sproul, he approached his death with a quiet confidence that only faith in a resurrected Savior can bring. So do you have that assurance that he had? Do you have that same peace of mind? Do you know this kind Savior that R.C. cherished above everything else? Well, let us give our attention to the word of God as we ask ourselves that question. Let's look there now at the book of Hebrews. This, this book of Hebrews, this letter, it really is one long sermon. It's a long sermon written from a concerned pastor to his beloved congregation. And he's concerned because he knows what his congregation is going through, all the persecution and the trials and the dangers that they have, not just the physical dangers, but more importantly, the dangers they have of drifting away from the faith. You see, these Hebrew Christians, they faced persecution in every direction. They were Hebrew Christians, and so they're facing persecution from their Jewish neighbors, from their friends and even family members in which they used to participate in the Jewish religious system and in the synagogue and everything that goes along with that, the the feasts and the sacrificial system, all of it. And then from the other direction, they faced many trials from the Roman Empire, which was increasingly becoming less tolerant of this new religious sect. You see, the uh, Jewish religion was a tolerated one in the Roman Empire at the time, but this new group of Jesus followers, they had no patience for. And so we can understand their struggle. They're asking themselves, is it really worth it? Is it really worth clinging to Christ when this is what we have to face because of it? It would be so much easier to just go back to Moses, to go back to just being Jews, to being tolerated as opposed to ostracized and persecuted. Is it really worth it? You see, that was the dilemma facing these Christians. And so this concerned pastor, he writes to them, exhorting them to hold fast to the faith that was delivered to them. And he does so by reminding them of the superiority, the glory, the beauty of Christ. Jesus is better. He is worth it. And you must not neglect his message of salvation. See, that's the structure of the whole letter, this whole book, this sermon of Hebrews, is showing them the superiority of Jesus over all things and then warning them not to neglect that salvation. And so our passage this morning, it comes directly after the first exhortation where the the author has just finished laying out in the first chapter of Hebrews, laying out the supremacy and the superiority 
of God's Son, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he brings us to the conclusion of his argument. In chapter 2, verse 1, did you notice the therefore in the text? The author is now moving from his theological argument to personal application, or as uh, R.C. Sproul would describe it, the perfect marriage of doctrine and practice. You see, because of everything that we have just discussed, everything from the whole first chapter of this letter, therefore, this is what we must do. And what is it that we must do? We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Well, what is it? What have we heard? What is the it that we are to pay attention to? Well, look back with me in chapter 1, verse 2. He says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has spoken through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The word of God has come into the world. Capital W, word of God, the word incarnate the gospel, the good news of salvation? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and are you resting upon him alone for your salvation? Well, what the author of Hebrews is saying is that if that's true of you, then you need to hear this message again and again and again. You must pay attention to it and lay it up in your heart and practice it in your life. And what happens if I don't? Verse 2, chapter 2, verse 2. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable. You see, everything that came before, the message declared by angels, that's a, a shorthand way for him to describe everything that came before. The entire corpus of the New Testament, Moses and all the prophets, they were all reliable witnesses. They're reliable and trustworthy and true. Chapter 1, verse 1, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. All of this is true. That's what he's saying. These messages were reliable. The Old Testament books were all the word of God given to the old covenant people of God and given to us. But what happened when they transgressed the word and the law of God? Chapter 2, verse 2, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. See, God's people, they faced God's wrath on account of their transgression and rebellion and disobedience. Like the book of Numbers describes God's people, their bodies were strewn across the wilderness because of their rebellion. And then they finally entered into the promised land, and still they failed to obey the Lord and to complete their conquest, and so they were ravaged and they were tormented by the nations, and they were constantly at war with their neighbors. They did whatever was right in their own eyes, as the book of Judges tells us, and so God's discipline was against them, and he gave them over to their enemies. And since all this is true, 
since the word delivered to your ancestors proved to be reliable, and since all that it said and taught and every sin and transgression received exacting and just, just retribution. Verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? If rejecting the message delivered to angels resulted in punishment and death, see, here's another lesser to the greater argument. Just like we said last week, if rejecting the angels' message resulted in death, how much more severe will it be for us if we reject the message delivered by the Son of God? It wasn't just a problem for the first century Hebrew Christians, but this is our dilemma as well. See, this is what is at stake for us. There is a very real danger. Hell is a real place. There is a judgment day coming. It's not a popular message, but it is a truthful message. It is true that there is a danger, but it's also true that there is a remedy. See, there is a message of hope and salvation. There is a message of hope. That's what sparked R.C.'s joy throughout his life and drove his life's work. The danger is real. We're fools to think otherwise. But there is hope, and we must not neglect it. So let's consider then those, those two realities during the remainder of our time this morning. Let's think about those. The danger of drifting away but the remedy that we have in Christ. Well, we are told that the danger we face in our text is drifting away. The word for drifting, it's a a nautical term and should remind us of of a boat that isn't tied to a dock or to a a ship without an anchor. Uh, It'll be similar to later in the book of Hebrews where Jesus is described as the forerunner the boat that goes before us on our behalf and the anchor of our souls that that anchors us and secures us and our hope in heaven. But here, the image is that of an untethered ship, one that's helplessly adrift at sea and being pulled constantly by the current. And this reminder is just as timely for us as it was in the first century. You see, we need this helpful shock to wake us back up to the real danger that we face. Falling away from the faith is something that does not happen in a moment. But it is a series of decisions and and even unconscious effects and thoughts that uh, influence us from all around, from the world, from our own flesh, and from the devil himself. There's many forces all pulling us in different directions. There's a strong current in our culture that would pull us away from the faith and cause us to drift away if we're not diligent to pay attention. Now, I was thinking of the younger people in the church as I was preparing this message. I was thinking of you guys. I I see some of you in the back even, all around. This church is full of young people. It's awesome. It's so cool. I loved last week and even this morning dodging as people were just running around and trying to make sure I don't accidentally trip somebody. But I was thinking of you. I was praying for you this morning. I don't know where you're at. 
high school, getting ready to go off to college. Maybe you've started school again. But I do know that you'll be pulled in all kinds of different directions in this world. There's all kinds of different messages in this world. And you will drift from your faith if it is not anchored in the word of God. We all will. Levi, you're, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. You're being way too serious this morning. Could you just calm down? Well, look at verse 3 with me again. How shall we escape? See, this is the language of Scripture, of escape. And we talk a lot about salvation. We use that word. Yeah, Jesus saves me from my sins. We talk about Jesus saves. Well, what, what is it that we're saved from? Do we understand what the word salvation means? It, it implies that we're saved from something. What are we saved from? We're saved from the wrath of God. There are many messages in our culture today that people will tell you, uh, God loves you just the way you are. That's one. You must be true to yourself. Don't ever change a thing. When Jesus began his ministry, what message did he bring to the people? He said, repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand. See, this is God's kingdom. This is a kingdom of perfect and pure holiness where there is no sin and there is no impurity and only the righteous are allowed in. Psalm 15 asks, Who, O Lord, can dwell in your tent? Who can live on your holy hill? Who is able to live in the presence of the holy, holy, holy God? Or verse 2, only he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, he who does not slander with his tongue, he who does no evil to his neighbor. The psalm goes on. And it only gets worse for us as we keep reading. Who is worthy? Have you met the law's demands this morning as we confessed? Do you have confidence to approach the gate of God's kingdom and say, I have kept all that you have commanded? Or do you feel the weight of the crushingness of your sin? Have you used your tongue to slander others and to lie instead of singing God's praises and glorifying his name? Or have you despaired of your own estate? Have you been imprisoned in sin, sin that you feel like you'll never be free of without any hope of escape? Do you find yourself this morning adrift at sea, wondering how in the world you could have gotten here to this point, not even recognizing who you are when you look in the mirror? Do you know there is a hell? There is eternal damnation. We don't make this up, but it's true. It's real. There is no escape. It's a real place, and there is no way to tunnel out 
There's nowhere you can dig. There's no guards that you can bribe. Do you know that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God? I would love to be anywhere else this morning than here right now giving you this message, except I feel compelled to and called to because this message is true. And so I must bring it to you. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And do you know that this was the fate of you, of me, of all of us here. The just retribution of our transgressions and our disobedience. But God. Best two words in the whole Bible. But God. He is our escape. This is the remedy for our dilemma He is the ticket into the kingdom. We were orphans and we were homeless. We were destitute and covered in the mud of pigs. We're eating from the trough, but God rescued us. We were dead, but he made us alive. He raised us from death to life. He washed us clean. He clothed us with the robe of Christ's righteousness. You see, he is the one who walks blamelessly and does what is right. He is the one who speaks truth in his heart. His tongue does not slander nor does he do what is evil. And the glorious message of the gospel that he brings is that his righteousness he gives to us. Our sins reckon to him, his righteousness reckoned to us. And so he welcomes us into his kingdom, clothed in the kingly garments that are his, though once we were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He is now reconciled to himself, making peace by the blood of his cross. That is the better message. That is the good news of the gospel. And there is no escape without it. And you see, here is the beauty of the Christian life. Not only does God accomplish the salvation for us through the substitutionary atonement of Christ's death on the cross, but he also provides us all the means by which we will persevere in this life. He has given us his word. Everything, everything we need for faith and life is given to us in his word. That is the remedy of the danger of drifting away. The remedy is that we pay attention to his word and to the message that he has given to us. That verb, uh, pay attention, is also another seafaring term. It can uh, denote the act of, of holding to a specific course or to securing an anchor. And that's what the word of God is to us. It's what sets us on the right course. It's what secures us in place. And we need this message constantly. This is what uh, C.S. Lewis wrote uh, concerning this, this concept of drifting from the faith. He says, we have to continually be reminded of what we believe. Neither this belief nor any other will automatically remain alive in your mind. It must be fed. 
And as a matter of fact, if you examined 100 people who had lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would turn out to have been reasoned out of it by honest argument. Do not most people simply drift away? You see, that is our danger. Our danger is not in clever arguments against the truth of Christianity. Our danger is drifting away of neglect. But we are given the exact antidote that we need, the very remedy that will keep us anchored to the shore, keep us on the straight path. It is the word of God. So let us end with this. You cannot reason your way into the faith, but faith in Jesus is in every way reasonable. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, it is a work of God's spirit that awakens us and regenerates your soul and persuades you to accept Christ as he's offered to you in the gospel. But with new eyes, the spirit will testify to your spirit about the truthfulness of the historical account of the gospel message. And now I I don't know if that's true of you. I don't know if you are regenerate this morning. I I do not know for certain if you have accepted uh, the message of the gospel, repented of your sins and believed in Jesus Christ as your hope for salvation. But I want to say to those here who have never professed faith in Christ, I want to say to you that it is in every way reasonable to do so. See, this is what the last part of our passage uh, shows us. In verse 4, starting uh, halfway through verse 3, it was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. You see, the message that Jesus brought was first declared by the Lord Jesus himself, and then it was attested to us and to those in that day by the ones who heard the first-hand and the first eyewitness accounts of the risen, resurrected Lord. And then it was further attested to us by God himself, through signs and wonders and various miracles, and by the gifts that God's Spirit gave to his church to attest to the truth of these things. In all of this, the whole message is given to us in the books, the 66 books of our Old and New Testaments. If you have not repented of your sins this morning and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, then today is the day of your salvation. Look to this book Look to your elders here in the church. Speak to me after the service. Repent of your sins. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and have peace for your soul. But if you have accepted Christ, if you have professed his name, if you've taken those vows of membership, if you are a good church member, And whatever exactly that means to you, well, notice what the word of God says here. The warning says, lest we drift away. See, this warning is for you. 
This warning is for me. It's for all of us, the churchgoer, the Christ professor, the, the Bible believer. We are in danger of drifting away. And this is a sober warning to us. And we must not take it lightly. Well, I began by quoting Sproul, and I'd like to give him the last word. I encourage you to go and listen to this sermon of his. It's available online. He doesn't pull any punches. It's so excellent. Well, I read his last sentence at the beginning. Now I'm going to uh, want to go back and reread it and start back a little bit earlier with what he says. And so he says this in full. He says, if you neglect what Jesus says and you neglect what God proves, then we are back to the theme that there is no escape. Beloved, if you come to church every Sunday, every single Sunday of your life, and go to Sunday school every week of your life, you may still be neglecting this great salvation. Is your heart in it? That's what I'm asking you. I can't answer that question for you. You know if you're neglecting your salvation. I don't have to tell it to you. I just have to tell you what the consequences are if you continue in that neglect. So I pray with all my heart that God will awaken each one of us today to the sweetness, the loveliness, the glory of the gospel declared by Christ. Would you pray like that with me now? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we confess to you how prone we are to wander, how easily we drift away from your word. We thank you for the great salvation that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for providing the means of escape from the otherwise inescapable enslavement of our sin and misery. Great was our sin and misery, but we have a greater Savior. So like the instruments of a ship, would you tune our hearts, would you calibrate our affections, that we will always stand course, holding fast to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.